Uh, it's great to be with you. And um, if you have your Bibles open to James 3, this passage that we're going to go uh, into and that we're going to explore is all about how we talk, how we think about um, what we say. And so on the surface, I just want to be really upfront. Um, the point of this teaching is like your words matter. Great. So in the one sense, I could just end there and just it, it really encourage you to like, you know, keep, keep, keep watch over what you say. You can really do some damage or you can do some really great things. It literally is the point of my message. I just want to put that out there. That's it. Um, I think that in diving a little bit deeper and exploring the text in a more intensive way, I think we actually begin to hopefully be inspired and deeply warned that we can be really encouraged by the power that resides in what we say and that we can also um, really be aware and attentive to the degree of danger that I think we don't often uh, pay attention to. Um, there are moments, and if you can kind of think back, um, maybe even in your, in your week or in the last month, or the, uh, for me, it's remembering things that were said to me like years ago that for good or for bad have like stuck with me that have resonated and shaped the kind of person um, that, that I was, I have become, again, for good or for ill. And hold on, if you happen to be a story like that or something, like, keep that kind of in the back of your mind. Like, when was it? When was there a time when someone just uttered something of, that was so life-giving or something that was so encouraging? Uh, I'll never forget this story that just kind of messed with me in a very weird way. I was in elementary school. Um, I went to West Kingston Elementary School. I don't think anybody in this room went to West Kingston Elementary School, but I'll throw it out there just in case. West Kingston Elementary School, it was not really kind of like a, like a campus town, um, and it was just mostly turf fields. Uh, we were 15 minutes from the beach and like 10 minutes from the main part of town of Wakefield, but it was like there wasn't really much going on. It was a lot of like families who don't really want to live in town. Like, you know, I think people don't want to live in the city. This is like people don't want to live in town. So, uh, you know, so my parents had bought a house and it was by the church that I grew up in. And uh, I was the oldest. Um, and so those of you who are the oldest, you usually kind of have a little bit of the golden child thing going on. Um, I was like the kid who my parents, I'm trying not to do this with our, our daughter. We said our first Harper. And they kind of, I got paraded out all the time to just like do tricks. I was like the, the family monkey. I was like, come on. And I would walk out and like, look, I can say ball. You know, I can, I could kind of like play the piano. Like I could play like three notes or, you know, I, I would be the one who would like, look, look, he can count, count. And, you know, and then by the time my, the joke in my family was I got to my third brother, Nathan, that no one cared at all what he did. It was just like, he's like still plays up to this day. Like oh, I'm the I'm the forgotten child. That's cool. It's cool. Everything I, I do, it's last. And my, my youngest is, or my uh, youngest sibling is a, is a girl. So it's three boys and then a girl. So she got all sorts of special attention being the only girl. So Nathan really is just the forgotten child. Um, and it's really sad. But So next time he's here, just play that card with him. Hey, you're, uh, what's your name? You're, wait, there's a third mook? We get that all the time. Um, so being the, the kind of golden child, and then like my dad was a pastor, so we were like up, I was like just up front a lot. I was, I was in like a weird public eye even as a kid. Um, and so I, I, I was okay at sports. I was kind of like a B student. I was okay at music. I could kind of like, in a really small West Kingston churchy pocket, I could kind of rule the day. All right, and just being honest, this is kind of like, I, I realized I had a little bit of, yeah, and then I got to junior high. Junior high is when all of the schools, um, I don't know if your town did this. So like Wakefield and um, there's South Road and Matunic. So all the different villages in South Kingstown, they all collided into one junior high. And I think I've shared parts of this story before, but I will never forget walking into science class. Did I tell the story? I can never remember. Walking into science class, and I've got... I got I, I I realized that like skater thing was in even though I wasn't a skater so I had the parted hair. You know what I'm talking about and then buzzed underneath. Yeah, it was pretty solid. And then I, I was like, but you're but I'm still like a guy and like girls were still sort of like a yeah girls whatever but like that wasn't the thing it was like at least I thought like just being being a guy and being with the guy that was the kind of the point of life. And 
So I had like baggy, really baggy sweatpants on, my nicest sweatpants I brought to junior high, zips, hair, and I had bought like a knockoff Stussy shirt. Remember Stussy? Anybody am I dating myself really bad here? Is Stussy still around? Yeah? Sweet. Are they any good? No. <laughs> They're like the Walmart brand now. Is that like, so, Stussy, Quicksilver, right? Quicksilver, that's still at, right? They, do they recover? Anyway, so I walk into uh, science class, seventh grade, and uh, oh, dear Lord, Kristen Lombari, never forget it. She walks down. Any of you guys have this moment where you're like, a girl. And I, even though, like, you know, I'd been through puberty, kind of, I guess, but I did, also, everything changed. She was like, it was when Clueless was really big. Do you remember, you know, Clueless? Yeah, so I think it was around that time because that was the style that was in. It was like the Catholic schoolgirl look. I'm sorry if I'm causing people to stumble right now. I'm just being real. And the Catholic schoolgirl thing. And it was like, you know, the, yeah, you know the Catholic schoolgirl thing. So I just had a moment of like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Like, I, I need to. And then I, like, looked over, and the guy that she's sitting next to, you know, like, had this, like, nice little, you know, quaff and he was like in like really nice skater gear like he actually had Stussy brand not the knockoff brand and he had nice cargo jeans and like chucka boots you know the vans with the nothing I am so old all of a sudden it never happened to me before so all this said it was this moment of humbling this is way too long a story to get to my point I I felt so underwhelmed at myself and this is somebody, I'm the golden boy. I'm the one who like played really well in soccer. Like everybody like loved me, parents, kids. I could like my, my I could boss all of the neighborhood kids around because I just happened to be the oldest, right? I made unfair baseball card trading deals like with my brothers. I ruled the day. In fact, at my bachelor party, my brothers took out a lot of angst on me. It was really hard. So for, for those days. And so it was in this place of trying to figure out, like, who I was, that this girl, the same girl, a, two years later, I'm, I'm like, don't, don't really adjust well. I'm kind of like, because I, I play soccer, I'm kind of like in the middle. I'm like the forgotten middle. I'm not a, like, dork nerd. I'm not, like, really popular. And I'm just right in the middle. And then I decided to do this really bold move and play. We did our a talent show. Like a really special town show. And so nobody really knew that secretly I wrote songs. And you guys know something like that. That's cool like in college. Oh, he writes songs. Right? Junior high, you do what? You know? And especially most of them are about like girls like coming in. And that's, oh. No, if you were to do anything, you play like ska music. And you talk about things that you don't have any reference point for actually. You know? <laughs> and so I, I, I have this moment where... Um, I decided to, to do this, and I get together with a friend of mine, and we play, uh, we get a couple of friends, and I play this song that I wrote. And it was as if just all the stars aligned. Not only did it, was it executed okay, and not only was I happy that, like, a bunch of the more popular kids, like, came as sort of, like, I think they were just kind of coming as, like, oh, this will be funny and goofy, and we can't drink yet, so let's go to this. And so they're, they're and they're, or they did drink and then they came. And, uh, and after the show, this, this girl, oh, I this is so hard. She comes up to me and she whispers in my ear something completely inappropriate. And basically saying like, I, I want to, I want to date you. And this is like untouchable girl. I, I, guys, you can be average of total average ability average like weight average looks average cleanliness if you write songs if you pick up an acoustic guitar drop a little falsetto say something sensitive praise jesus That was so long. That was like a five-minute story. I've not even started my sermon yet. That one word, those like that, that sentence in that moment where she just uttered this thing about like kind of like affirming these things inside of me triggered such brokenness and ego and just just awful like 
security that was grounded in nothing. <laughs> but it, it, I can't tell you that I continue to remember this stupid little story because it informed how I lived out most of my high school experience from that point on. That just her uttering these couple things, it wasn't even what followed. It just, it, it, I can't believe to this day that it still resonates and affects all sorts of things like around like my self-assuredness or my ego or my worth and how I think about myself or even like the delusion when I look in the mirror, I'm like, yeah, you still got it, Andrew. It's like, no. You know, like those moments and I, this reference point is still there. Abraham Heschel says words create worlds. He talks about how words create and change everything. They create cathedrals of meanings. When I get up here and teach, I'm, I'm trying to, in one way or another, whether it's in a really linear fashion or telling stories or using props or referencing uh, poetry, I'm trying to help you, my friends in the congregation, enter into a way of looking at things. I'm building towers and, a, and, a, and hopefully something beautiful to help you engage and be convicted or be at awe or, or, and allowing that to take place uh, is something that I think in our everyday actions we tend to not be so critical about what we're actually saying. When you open your Bible and start reading, if you were to read page one, it starts with this poem, this creation poem. And the poet describes God as someone who creates using words. And this, for the, for the Hebrew context, words are the things that create realities. When God speaks, the poet insists things happen. The word for word in Hebrew is the word davar, and it's used around 1,400 times in the Bible. God speaks and things happen. The word is like a thing or a power is what it means. Something written, spoken, heard, seen, and experienced. A creative act that brings something new into existence. And so these ancient writers... The book of Proverbs we're going to go to about 18 times today. Just keeps pointing out, you have no idea the power that lies with your words. You have no, I mean, it, it, Proverbs 18, 21, before we actually get to our passage in James that Corey read, the tongue has the power of life and death. You just, the, the tongue has the power to create life and create death. So I, I want to talk and just kind of charge through what does it mean? What does the power of death, what does the power of life mean, and then what does it mean for us to actually speak life to one another? So if we go to the book of James, if you still have your Bible open, uh, we'll have some of the references on the screen. Uh, and for those of you who are new, we turn to the Bible because we look at this as poems, as stories, as accounts, uh, from history to laments to songs that, that actually inform who God is how we understand uh, the way in which the world works. We give this book authority because it, it, it hits the entirety of the human experience because we see how God has interacted with humanity, hu with humanity in divine and powerful ways. So we begin, if you're new here, every week we just open this book up and we go, man, this has inspired some of the most beautiful things. What does it mean for us to engage and understand what this means for us today? So in James... Right at the very beginning, James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. Any, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their mouth, sorry, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go, likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue has the power to control. Have you ever used your words to control someone? Have you ever acted in such a way, whether it was direct or indirect, to try to get people to do what you want? Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about throwing pearls before pigs. If you remember that really odd text. He's talking about like when we use our words to manipulate. That's an example of when we give things that someone like, we try to control through gift giving. We try to control through ways in which we, we, we buy people's affection. We, we do that in a way of the way we try to actually come in underneath a situation we gossip and come around people. We're able to steer like whole friend groups. We're able to mess with our marriage or others by the way in which we say things. 
that this silly example, it's kind of like an obvious example James uses. I, th- I always kind of find it funny when I read it. It's like, you, your body in relation to your tongue, tongue is small. This small little organ has the ability to do unbelievable damage. And then he relates this to the ship. It's like, ship, big ship, small rudder. Like, we get it, right? But it's incredibly important to keep in mind that of all the things that can be going on inside your head, of all your impulses, that it is when these words are spoken. Because you could have even some of the worst intentions and if you know how to hold your tongue. But when we allow that to actually infect others, so many often use this to control. To the power to corrupt. In the next section in verse 5 it says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James, not an optimistic outlook on the tongue. He's like, we can like take wild dogs and like domesticate them, right? Right? We can take cats and, no, we can't really domesticate cats. We can, I have to be careful. I make too many cat jokes. I got to curb that back. Um, we, we take so many creatures and we have the ability, horses, right? He uses this example. We can like bring them under some kind of control. Why can't we do that with our tongue? Again, really obvious example. But for some of us, Some of us are better at this than others, let's be honest. But for some of us, this is like, yeah, I get that. Like it seems like the hardest thing to be able to curb is like, just don't say that. You don't need to go there. It has the power, not just to control, but the power to actually corrupt. It has the the ability to to take over. Uh, It talks about this fire. Um, the, the, and there's this great verse in Leviticus where the ancient Jewish writers actually link gossip and this ability to corrupt like a large thing or a large group of people to like see something cave in. And they equate the word, they do this like really funny punny thing and they equate it with leprosy. Like leprosy spreads really fast, by the way. It's like think Ebola in a sense. Like it just, like you, you can get it very quickly and it would spread very, very fast and be toxic. And they equate that to this is actually what the power of the tongue can do. I was talking to a friend the other day about a story in which um, words that were spoken to her uh, about a, a friend from a parent. So it was a situation where the parent set the tone and kind of corrupted the whole way in which um, my friend thought uh, about herself uh, and, and how other people should think about themselves in regards um, to, to their health in regards to weight, in regards to, like, it like, corrupted a whole family structure and the way people thought about it just by the words of someone in that family kind of condemning. Um, if you've ever been in a family unit, that's where I see, like, the corruption so often where you see somebody who, um, or you hear somebody just say something in a way that kind of sets um, I'm trying to tell a story without telling the story. We know that it doesn't take much in a family unit um, or in a tight group of friends to allow, whether it's misinformation or the most negative possible view, to then like taint everything. It's just like this mark that doesn't leave, like the scar has the power to just corrupt and corrode the way in which people think about themselves or people think about each other. It goes on in James with this kind of, what is the power of death? With the tongue we praise, and this, if you're hearing your father of Jesus, this one should jump out and punch you in the face. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
like James keeps using these metaphors over and over and over, like helping connect the dots for us to saying like, you say you're this, but then this happens. You say you love God, but then every other person is made in the image of God, you curse. You, you don't meet where they're at. You don't come alongside. You aren't a person of grace and mercy. The power to actually curse is opposite the power to, power to bless. The power to bless is to come, come alongside and not just cheer on, but say, I'm with you. And the, what he talks about in the cursing is when we walk away, when we actually cast somebody out, when we declare that they're not worth it, whether directly, and usually it's much more indirect, right? None of us are confrontational enough to actually just say what we mean. So instead, what we do is we just cast people off with our words, and we essentially curse them. We remove them from the fold. We push them away because we've been harmed, because we've been hurt. And so the cycle goes with our tongue, we can come in here and say, thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come, right? This is referencing Jesus saying, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. One of the most powerful passages, the God of the universe says, you wanna know what I'm like here? He gives us Jesus. This is what I'm like. And then we see Jesus welcoming the most outcast, the most downtrodden. And so we come and we go, yes, I need that for me. Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. Damn you. And we turn to our neighbor. Again, never so directly. Never so obvious. But we can so quickly become people where we are affirming blessing. And then the very people, it says in this passage, who are made in God's image, which is everybody. You're stuck with that one. Not just the folks in here. Everyone. And you end up cursing. And James, as we've been talking about, if you've been with us from the beginning, does this again and again and again and again. He keeps bringing up, you say you're this. You are loved, called out, rescued, saved. All these brilliant terms. This is who you are. And yet, you do this, which means there's actually a disconnect. If you truly were living into and believing, you'd at least be able to identify the hypocrisy or identify the times you mess up or identify the time your tongue slips and be able to address that. He's not calling for perfection, but this group of people that the writer James is talking to are missing it. They're not paying attention. This is who you are, and yet you do this. There is such inconsistency. As a follower of Jesus, your tongue cannot be an instrument of inconsistency. Words carry power. Words, this whole section begins with just this caution about even speaking. The first verse is like, hey, be careful those who talk. That's like more talking to people like me. Be careful those who preach. Be careful those who, who, who feel the need to take on, hey, I want to share with you, I want to be in a position where my tongue matters more, in a way. I want to be in a position where my tongue carries more weight and goes further. If the tongue wields such power, it would seem that sometimes it'd be best for us to be people who shut up. I humbly submit and encourage you as followers of Jesus, may we be people who, who shut up more often than we speak. Right, because this to me is how, how this section needs to, if we're going to break this up, right, this is the power of death part. This is kind of where it needs to end. We need to actually make sure that we are people who are guarding the stuff that's coming out of our mouth. Proverbs ten nineteen. I think these are on the screen. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When you're talking a lot, yes, it's right around the corner, baby, because you can't control that thing. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Proverbs 13, 3, he who guards his hearts guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Alan Redpath, and this is going to be so, I, I was tempted to not put this in my teaching, but I'm going to put it in here because it's just really practical. Next slide. Alan Redpath had this whole thing around just a really helpful way to think through this. So I know this sounds really, looks really basic, but I tried this. I don't do this enough. I was like, I want to actually try to put this like into my like line of, of sight this week and think through some really, really, really basic things around how I talk to people. Specifically, it comes out with how I talk to my wife. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? 
Is it necessary? Is it kind? Are these the sorts of things that I am processing with? This kind of goes back to, if you were with us when we studied Philippians 4.8, what are the things you're putting into your mind? Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's good, whatever's just. Think about stuff that's beautiful because you think that you can switch things on like an on-off switch, but you can't. That's the thing I hope to get across for us is I realize so often I can sort of, yeah, 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 I'll think about such, I'll, I'll, I'll try to think about good things, but I know that in the moment I'm not going to be a jerk. How many of you, that's what you're thinking right now? I, I mean, I don't really curse someone. I'm not that bad. Some of you, or maybe you're being really honest and you are that bad. But for a lot of us, right, none of us are going around being like these awful, slanderous, yapping people. But the problem is, is when push comes to shove or when hurt happens or when our enemy or when someone really frustrates us, we actually realize we have not been disciplining ourselves to be thinking in the right sort of way. And then all of a sudden, we lash out. And then all of a sudden, we react because we haven't been thinking through what is the, the words that are coming out of my mouth, is the thoughts that are going into my head, are these things line up with the way of Jesus? So I wanted to get that kind of out of the way because this is the part that I'm excited about. Because when we look in the book of Hebrews, again, the power of life and death is what our tongue actually has. So what about the power of life? Like how can we be people of just absolute contagious encouragement and love and healing and reconciliation with our words? So Hebrews says, uh, or sorry, Proverbs says, the power to heal, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue uh, of the wise brings healing. We have the power to reconcile with our words. If your brothers or sisters sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is Jesus, by the way, helping them make sense of how to deal with conflict. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Which, by the way, is to then just treat them like with just love, unfailing love, because you don't hold somebody accountable who's not a part of your community. Well, treat them as someone who's outside your community. That doesn't mean like cast them off. That means just love them then. Just, okay. I mean, you're loving them all the way through, but you just say, I- I'm out. I just, I'm with you, I'm for you. We're not gonna keep going there though. We have the actual power to reconcile. This, in a community of followers of Jesus, is critical because there are multiple churches around here and you don't even really have to show up here on a Sunday. All right, I look around at the amount of people who are actually going and involved in home groups and sometimes it's hard for me because I go... You know, I don't think that's just schedule. I don't think it's, ju- I mean, it's part of it, I know, and it's busy and it's hard to make weekday or Sunday, but it's not just schedule. It's actually, like, sometimes it's, just, it's hard to do that, to be in community with people. I think for some of us, I'm not putting this on everyone, I think for some of us it's, it's really hard. And what that's going to mean then is you can't just, it's harder to walk away from eight people that you get together with regularly and disappear into a crowd of 200. We have the power with our tongue to reconcile. We have the power with our tongue to go to one another in love and carry carry one another's burdens and engage the places where there is brokenness in our own lives to put things back together, to do the hard work. That, in so many ways, we're told in the scriptures is actually what should make, and it definitely doesn't, but it should make the church entirely unique. Like such an unbelievable place where right, we're told that the way in which the world will ultimately know who Jesus is is that we would be one as God is one. There, there be unity amongst so many differences. That there be a, an opportunity to actually continue to go there and find healing and reconciliation. We have the power to reconcile. Another passage is, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, um, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is the power of the tongue. And lastly, we have the power to encourage. So we have the power to reconcile. We have the power to heal. We have the power to encourage. 
Ephesians 4.29, the writer Paul says, do not let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful by building others up according to their needs, and if they may benefit those who listen, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. We immediately, at least I immediately go to like the family channel when I see the word unwholesome. Right? I just go to like, oh, like, like it's like some sort of like uh, plastic, neutered, you know, like puritanical speech. Like, no, wholesome here in the original language is an absolutely powerful word. It's again, what are the things that are good and true and beautiful? That's the sort of stuff that should be coming out of your mouth. Anything that's not that is, is uh, Paul uses the word elsewhere in Philippians, skubalon, um, which is a word I can say in church. I can't say the English translation because it's Paul literally swearing in the scriptures. If you're ever wondering, like, man, there's no, there's no swears in the Bible. Yeah, there's a couple actually, and that's one of them. Paul says, consider it garbage, consider it ish. I can, and that's what this is he's saying. Don't let anything like that. Anything, anything that's garbage, anything that's outside the good and true and beautiful, put it aside. That's not the sort of things that should be on your tongue. We can be so attractive and winsome and beautiful and captivating to the point of obnoxious if we defaulted to encouragement. And if you have anybody in your life who's like a really amazing encourager, like just like unbelievable, you could have done the worst possible thing and they're just like, don't worry about it. Like, come for tea. You know, like, my person says come for tea in my head. That's what I'm thinking of. They're just for you. You're like, you literally are almost annoyed sometimes. You're like, if I'm going to just, I'm going to like, you're just walking by like, hey, what's up? You still want to encourage me? Like, you know, you almost want to provoke, you want to poke the bear a little bit to see if they're actually as encouraging as they seem. Because people who are encouraging, like James has been talking about, I think if they're not trying to compensate for something, I think usually followers of Jesus who are encouraging are the folks that actually trust the story more than others. They actually trust that you are made in the image of God and that you are deeply loved and thus worthy of encouragement, even if that encouragement has to be mixed with like some hard words. Because I'm for you. Because there's always a second chance. Because I know what it is. That's why usually people who have had really deep and broken parts of their life are often some of the most incredible encouragers in peoples of grace and mercy. Because they are a constant reminder of, I know where I was, man. Trust me. There are second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredths, hundreds of questions, or of second chances. Second chances for you. The power of language has the ability to create a culture of life and a culture of death. I think that James isn't just having a bad day when he talks about how much he hates the tongue and how dangerous it is. He's warning a community that most of the temptation around you is for you to act just like everybody else, to be totally absorbed by a culture that is hypercritical, that is constantly aggrandizing ways to disagree because that's how I feel unique. It's constantly looking for ways to push down, to slam to feel self-righteous, so I'm going to cut somebody else down. I had a moment like that the other day. I, I think it's actually still up. I didn't take it down. I was so ticked off that everybody cared about Kim Kardashian's hair. You guys know, how many of you don't even know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I don't know why I do, but I do. And I was so frustrated that people cared that I actually commented contributing to the caring. And I made some snarky comment on Twitter. And I realized as I like was done and hit go, hit go because my Twitter has a go button, I, I hit yeah. But like this is so unencouraged. Like maybe I bet there's someone in our congregation, that friends of mine do. This is like the, the stupidest thing to try to address and engage. Not because I'm not right, because I was right. It's the dumbest thing imaginable. But like, people spent time caring about this. And I went, you know what? No. Like, that is in no way, like, the way of the father of Jesus. Like, social critique by lashing out on Twitter. Like, this is not going to be, for some folks, like, this is just not helpful. These are not words of, like, life-giving anything. I'm not going to convict somebody, like, by that anyway. 
we can be people who have such a posture, like a default setting where we look around and we see the truth about who people are. We see the fact that they were made in God's likeness and that causes an immediate posture of encouragement. Proverbs 3.27, I love this text. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. In light of this topic, I think about this like in this way. Do not miss an opportunity to encourage. Like don't miss it. Like if there's somebody after church today that you need to go and lavish with love because that's how God's posture is towards you, do it. Be obnoxious. Make them feel awkward. Lavish them with love. This isn't, by the way, an excuse like for awkward pickup lines. Like this isn't like, uh, please don't. Like I have a girl I've wanted to talk to. You look really pretty today. Like don't do that. That's not the encouragement I'm talking about. Like, don't, when there are opportunities in front of you, like, we always think of the, the worst case scenario when I come to the Bible. I do this all the time. I don't want to put this on you, but I have a feeling some of you struggle with this too. It's like, okay, what is the Bible today telling me not to do? That's how I come to the scriptures, which is such garbage. We should come to the word going, what does it mean to live the way of life today? How can I be more effective in being a person who's walking the way of Jesus, who's responding to the grace of God, who can be an instrument of peace and encouragement and reconciliation and healing that I can look upon, wait, I don't want to withhold any opportunity to speak good, to create a culture of life when I look around and see such a culture of cynicism and death. I want to spend my time encouraging, not like slamming a bunch of people because they decided to comment on some random social thing happening. James 1, 26 says, those who consider themselves religious, and he's talking about the way of Jesus here, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. This is the warning. Tongues can reconcile people and make peace. They can make marriages sweet and families strong. They can make churches healthy. Tongues can give hope to the despairing and advancing understanding and the spreading of the good news. But if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and don't keep a tight rein on the stuff that is toxic, it's, your religion is worthless. Like, why believe anything? Why does he say this? Because your tongue, like, it it corrupts, remember? It spreads like wildfire. It It can curse. It can do such damage. You undo such goodwill. I clearly spent too much time on Twitter this week. I had a moment. This is an awkward place to sit, but I'm gonna go for it. I, this is gonna turn out badly. I, I was, I don't know what there was like a, a sports commentary. I followed like a link about a Patriots thing because I'm still following the NFL. I don't know what's wrong with me. And uh, and the sportscaster, I, I like looked at her Twitter feed because I was trying to find an article that she had posted. And then there was some really weird response to this random person, and it said, like, um, something along the lines of, real classy, dot, 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 you have a Bible verse in your profile. I was like, what is that about? Like, this is like some, like, really big deal, like, you know, million Twitter followers or something ridiculous, or a couple hundred thousand Twitter followers. So I click on the on this link to this person, and somebody was asking, apparently, like, nude photos of the sportscaster had linked or something, and they are asking for them. Like, and somehow this actual human being who just happens to be a celebrity sportscaster, like, picked up on this. And noticed that the person asking for the nude photos had a Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 10, which is ironic on so many levels. But in their thing, and I thought, man, that's kind of in a funny way, and I don't know this person at all, but. That's kind of what James is talking about, right? Like, even though it's not spoken words, I mean, in a culture that doesn't just use 
oration now, like in the typed word and in the video and the things that we say. Here's someone who's declaring, I'm a follower of Jesus by putting this passage and here they are like in very public place asking for just like a really awful, crude thing. And then it made me think of a story that a friend of mine told where there's a lot of um, traffic uh, at the church. There was like, it was really, really hard to get in and out. They had a really, like, not a good-sized parking lot. And there are all these stories that got back to the pastor about how people had been, like, yelling at each other and, like, flipping one another off in the parking lot, like, on their way and out of church because there's all this, tra- yeah, awful. And so he gets up in front of everybody, and he says something along the lines of, hey, everybody, so there's a parking problem. Can I just be honest with you? If you can't be a Christian in the parking lot, please don't go out into the world and start telling people about the way of Jesus. You're just going to screw it up for the rest of us. And the room like cheered, you know, like everyone's like, yeah. And that one person who flipped somebody off was like, oh. You could argue that wasn't very encouraging of him, I guess. I think this is what James is getting. Look, this is serious. This isn't about feeling bad. This is like last week. Don't feel condemned. Feel convicted. But don't feel condemned. God is saying, James is saying, this is the way of Jesus and these are the words of God. He's saying, look, to to call yourself a follower of Jesus means this is something you got to get in order. Just like your thought life. Like what is coming out of your mouth? Do you actually think about that? Do you spend more time conditioning yourself in any other way other than things that actually will affect and do such damage? We often care more about our exercise routine, our diet, and whatever else, and not about what we're putting into our mind, or in this case, what actually is coming out of our mouth. Words matter. It's the only point of this sermon. Words matter. I would submit to you that the words you say make a huge difference even in what you see. The words you speak in private will be your fuel in public. And so you've got to get control now so that you won't lose control later. If the only time that you are confessing and saying things that are good and true and beautiful is in church or around people who agree, like it's not enough. The Bible says we have to control our tongue. People think you can just again flip a switch and I'll be fine. I'll be fine when it really matters and we don't discipline ourselves. We can create such life. We can speak new future over people. And I think for a lot of us, we're so hypercritical. I know a lot of my friends, like it's like New England white hipsters. I don't know what it is. Like there's like, there's something about a subset even of our own community, just to be honest. And if you fit that description and you're new with us, great to see you. I'm talking about the other ones. Um, I think we can be really hypercritical. I think we can be really, really, really overly like, like, I don't know, just kind of like too cool for the moment. And we miss opportunities to spur one another on. We miss opportunities to be like really, really um, genuine and passionate and loving toward people. We're so highly critical. That we, we think that, oh, if I'm too encouraging, if I'm too positive, if I'm, if I'm too focused on the good, then I'll miss the things that I need to call people out on. Like I need to be hypercritical because that's the most loving thing. And don't get me wrong, there are times you just need to call people out in a loving way. But as followers of Jesus, we literally have to see people through the lens that Jesus does. I was on the phone with a friend recently and, and um, I was... I was being told by my friend that I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. If you knew what I did this last week, Andrew, you'd want, you, you, you just wouldn't want to know me anymore. And in that moment, being able to hypothesize some of the things that maybe had been done or some of the dark places that this person had gone to in their head, because, not because I'm an encouraging person, because I'm a follower of Jesus and I, in that moment, had a, had a moment of truth of being remembering how God sees them. I was able to not flip into hypercritical. I was able to not flip just into, here are the 18 ways you need to get your ish together. It was, let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you who you are. 
Regardless of what you have done, this is what I understand about the way, about the universe, about who God is, about love and logic and and the beauty behind everything. This is who I believe you are. This is what Jesus says about you. And this brings me to just my last and final point. We have the power to bless. One of the most powerful things that God does for people is bless them. And that's not bless them like hand them a check. That's like saying I'm with you no matter what. What I love about the ministry of Jesus is that in Matthew 3, before Jesus has done anything of any great importance that we know of, Jesus is baptized and he went up out of the water and at the moment, Heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is before Jesus has done anything. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. This is before healing people. This is before going and caring for the poor and the fatherless and the widow. This is before he goes and calls out the religious folks for being hypocritical. This is before he goes to the cross and dies for us. Before anything else, the word that is spoken is blessing. And that's what we're called to do for each other. This is how God thinks about you because of what he's done. That's why we go to this table every day. That's why in the ancient practices, I know I've said this before, but one of the things that would accompany this would be a holy kiss. You'd literally kiss somebody on the mouth before you do this. It was like passing of the peace. It talks about this in scripture. And all that was saying is if you actually have something against one another, if there's major conflict and discord, if there are words that have been spoken that have been vitriolic and cursing, It's going to be really hard to kiss that person on the mouth, like as a part of your church service, right? It's hard to do that anyway. But like, (laughs) it was a way of ensuring, hey, 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 we as a people need to start at the beginning every time we encounter. It doesn't mean we're not annoyed at people. It doesn't mean we shouldn't feel bad because people will hurt us. It doesn't mean we don't get frustrated. It doesn't mean there aren't time to set up boundaries, it definitely doesn't mean we don't own, if we're the ones who've committed the hurt, that we don't own that. This isn't about like forgetting. This is about the remembering the first point. It's about remembering the beginning. It's about walking in and going, I know at this moment my words could crush you because you're vulnerable. Or I know in this moment I could take somebody who's feeling really insecure and hurting And I can speak such life into you right now. I actually, you don't realize you have the capacity and ability to actually speak and encourage in such incredible ways and pull people into a new place. So as as the band comes up and as we close here, Luke 6, 45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, so what's in here, the mouth speaks. So what's in, I mean, what's in your heart? If you have a critical heart, it's going to produce a really critical tongue. If you have a self-righteous heart, it's going to produce a judgmental tongue. If you have a bitter heart, man, if you have a bitter heart, you're never going to be able to like speak words of life because you're just, you're just so frustrated. I just have this, I just got super overwhelmed with this feeling. Like there are some people in here right now who have like really bitter hearts. They're bitter at whatever circumstance, whatever situation you got wrong, you got dealt a bad set of cards. Like this week, this month, this year, this life has just been junk and I'm just bitter. And and this is where we as followers of Jesus, and if you're not, I want to encourage you to follow him. He's really worth following. He's kind of incredible. To follow the way of Jesus, people who are living in light of this grace, who are trusting that we are loved regardless of what we've done. In that moment, we actually become people that can speak new futures over our own life. That we become people who speak the words out loud that, that God has spoken to us. I know that this has happened. I know others have wronged. I know other people have chosen the path of death. But today, I'm not going to choose the path of death. 
Because today I'm remembering that I am loved. Because today I'm remembering that I'm forgiven. Because, because today I have remembered that there is a future in front of me. This isn't some sort of weird thing like speak it, claim it. Like this is simply acknowledging that what happens when we begin to trust what God says about us. An ungrateful heart. You have an ungrateful heart produces a grumbling tongue, but a loving heart, a loving heart produces a gracious one. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So fill your heart with grace by soaking in what God says about you. And be careful taking in the words of death. May we be people whose mouths are full of life. We're going to sing Psalm 19. The band's going to sing. I'd actually encourage you to not sing along. Just let this, this simple prayer and the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my Father, my Redeemer. And may this moment, it might be a moment of conviction. It might be a moment of like encouragement. My hope is that like actual names of people or situations get like dropped, like just downloaded right now. You're like, oh, I cannot wait. Again, get rid of the guilt you might be feeling. It's like, I'm, just get it out of there. Like, you have now. So what are the places you can bless? Who are the people that you can come alongside and encourage? Who are the people that you know that a word from you would, would just go so far? Like, it, would, it, would, it could create new futures for them. It would give them a sense of hope for what's coming. Who are the people you need to go back to because you've spoken some words of death over? Anyone to feel guilt, you just need to be excited that you get to remedy that in the power of Jesus. We get to do this, remember? If you're here and you're a follower of Christian, we, we get to do this. We get to be people who turn it around. We get to be people of peacemaking and reconciliation. So may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to God. Let's take a few minutes and just sit in this.